going to be weighing the pros and cons of electrification versus gas on this week's new guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy, politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in beautiful Columbia, Missouri. Also joining us on the boards, Philip Frasica recovering from the tragic Super Bowl loss of this week. Philip, how you doing? Yes. Buddy? Oh, been better, but I'm excited for this. It's going to be good to do something fun and get my mind off of that. Oh, <laughs> so you don't, so you don't want to talk about that game anymore? Not particularly. Okay. okay. Well, you know, we can talk about, like, I just want to like get on a little bit of sports thing. Your Mizzou basketball team is doing very well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for the first time since uh, I was in school there back when I was a freshman in uh, 2011, 2012. So that's good to see at least. And sadly for me, my Kansas Jayhawks for the first time in 12 years, not in the top 25 as of today. Unbelievable, unbelievable loss for me and all of my, everyone in Jayhawk Nation. Anyway, this is not a sports podcast. Heaven knows I could not get very far on that, but we are, uh, we do have a very special guest today. Um, we have Alejandra Mejia Cunningham. Did I get that close? Yes, you did. Okay, hey, you are with NRDC, Natural Resources Defense Council, a group that we work with a lot, uh, mainly uh, with our Missouri contact here, but we, you and I have been talking a lot lately about um, issues like electrification, natural gas hookups, that sort of thing. Uh, so we want to just welcome you uh, to Renew Gurus. Congratulations on becoming a Renew Guru. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, um, so this is like something that is really kind of a hot topic in Missouri right now because a lot of our investor-owned utilities, Ameren, Evergy, Liberty Utilities have before the Public Service Commission right now, uh, electrification dockets. They are trying to seek, uh, you know, programs that will give rebates and incentives to people to do something called efficient electrification. This is something that you work on for NRDC, is it not? Yes, absolutely. Um, we can call it efficient electrification. We can call it building electrification or beneficial electrification. Um, but it really is about getting uh, fossil fuels out of our buildings where we spend uh, more than 90%, even before 2020, where we spend more than 90% of our lives and uh, um, really switching it to, to healthy, clean electricity uh, while being as efficient as possible. Right. So just kind of give a little bit of background to a lot of our uh, supporters out there. You know, you can be in, you know, you can be in a service territory that is covered not only by an electric company, but also a gas company. And natural gas can often power your water heater, your oven, your furnace. And there's some other, other appliances that go into what gas can produce. Um, so I guess, you know, to, to the extent from your perspective, I mean, what are some of the concerns you have about those gas appliances in a person's home or apartment or business? Yeah, so there's, there's a ton to unpack there. Right. Um, one of the, the first things that comes to mind is that um, we, we often don't think about 
where we're getting our, our power, our energy for, for that furnace, for that water heater, for even that stove. Right. Um, and we don't realize that we're burning fossil fuels in our homes. And just like burning fossil fuels outside our, our homes leads to pollution, to outdoor pollution, uh, we're creating indoor pollution in in our family in our family homes, really. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big concern. And um, what what's really allowing us one of the many things that's allowing us to to move away from from those technologies is is efficiency. Um, not only do we have an increasingly green renewable power grid for for electricity really across the nation um we've also done uh, a lot of progress in the efficiency of electric technology uh so with with what we now call electric heat pumps and i should say heat pumps have been around for many decades um just current generation of heat pumps are so reliable and so efficient that that you can use them they are three to five uh, three to five times more efficient than the gas technologies many of us have in our homes mm -hmm. and so um even as the grid continues to get greener um and there might still be some gas on that on that grid mm -hmm. we can use clean electricity if especially if we do it at the right times of day yeah. Um, for a much cheaper and much more efficiently. So saving both emissions and energy and so dollars out of our pockets um, by switching to these technologies. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned indoor air quality because I mean, for, for starters, in the past year, we have had to worry a lot about what our health is like indoors. <laughs> um, but also, you know, we, we Renew Missouri has been working on kind of a, a program about health and efficiency. I mean, so like when you talk about health issues, I mean, we're talking about largely respiratory issues, are we not? That's where the science is strongest and mm -hmm. it is the most obvious link. Right, like, you know, if you're talking about asthma or you're talking, I mean, especially childhood asthma. Yeah. Those are big, those are big factors for that, is it not? Yeah, so, um, so the science on this goes a ways back. Uh, people have been tracking the effects of, uh, especially cooking. This is where the science has focused more, cooking with gas in homes um, for, for many decades now. Uh, but last year, there were several, there were a couple meta studies, meta analyses. So like a, a disciplined look at all of the data that has been available to really get a better grasp on that link between using gas in our homes and uh, respiratory illnesses. And what we found is that, or what the, the scientists, the academics found, um, is that there is a, a strong link between children that grow up in, in a house, that live in a house uh, where uh, they're cooking with gas, especially um, in, in kitchens that are improperly ventilated, with unfortunate, which unfortunately are most homes, right. um, they have a risk of, uh, they have, up to 42% higher risk of experiencing asthma symptoms, um, which, which is significant. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And I mean, you kind of you kind of mentioned this in connection with efficiency. I mean, here in Missouri, and I know you work all around the country, but in Missouri, we have a lot of programs and policies that are in place that uh, at least the big utilities, Ameren, Evergy, Liberty, uh, they, uh, they get a lot of money uh, to put into, you know, making your home more efficient. 
And when they're doing that, I mean, you're, you're talking basically in a lot of cases about replacing existing appliances, replacing existing things there. Um, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a mix. It's a mix. Definitely, right. as I said, the appliances themselves, the electric appliances themselves are three to five times more efficient than their gas counterparts. Right. And that is before you you take into account um, other more traditional efficiency uh, moves like insulation and windows right. um, and really tightening up the envelope, which uh, which you you can really reduce um, minimize your your electricity consumption um, decades ago they used to say that electricity was going to be too cheap to meter what we're really going for in this case is too the, the use is too small to to meter because you're just using very small amounts of, of energy and right. spending very small amounts of dollars on it right right <laughs> Right. And, you know, and so because you have an, because you, and you mentioned the three to five times more efficient. I mean, what do people say? What do these studies and research say? I know you've mentioned that a couple of times. What, why is that? Why is electric appliances so much better on that than their gas counterparts? Yeah. So it's, it's a technology that's used. Um, it's, uh, it's heat pumps. So heat pumps don't create, they, they don't create heat. Um, how we, how we traditionally, if we're just strictly speaking, speaking for uh, about electric technologies for the majority of our, our past, um, how we've heated our spaces and waters have been electric resistance, just like the old incandescent light bulbs of the past. Right. Um, you run electricity through something with a lot of resistance and that creates excess heat. It's still, it's pretty efficient, honestly, where it's good at making heat. Um, but you're just really using a, a waste, the, the excess heat. What heat pumps do is they move, they circulate uh, heat around. Um, so just like uh, the, the heat pump everybody has or most everybody has in, in their house, like a heat pump in a refrigerator. Uh, yeah. what, what the, and apology, <laughs> apologies, there's a siren. Um, uh, I live next to a I hope, hospital. I hope you're not in trouble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too, but I'm pretty okay. sure it's an ambulance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, um, we all have at least one heat pump in our house, in our homes. That is a refrigerator. Uh, yeah. And the way our refrigerator is kept cool is the heat pump using refrigerants uh, moves the heat from inside the, the, the cold box to uh, the outside. And that's right. why the floor around refriger the refrigerator tends to be slightly warmer than the rest of the mm -hmm. kitchen because you're pumping the heat, constantly pumping the heat out of that. Right. Um, and that's, that's where you get those, those insane efficiencies, like where you are actually 300% efficient, which is kind of mind blowing. And so yeah. that's just how heat pumps work for space and water heating. Um, in like, if you're talking about space heating, you'd have a, the same heat pump in the, in the winter, pumping heat from the outside to inside your house to keep it warm. Right. And in the summer, you could have the same piece of equipment, do it in reverse. So pumping heat out of your house to the outside to keep it cool during the winter, uh, okay. during the summer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that is like largely, I mean, because people don't think that those work in two different ways yeah but that's how that's how that operates um yeah so i mean but obviously you know we you know with the you know the gas industry out there i mean there, there's a lot of money to be made with um investor-owned utilities that uh, 
sell natural gas. I mean, um, they obviously can't like this. Some of the stuff that we're talking about, even if it is a, a their electric counterparts pushing it. Yeah, it's a it's a diff. It's just like transitions are going to be difficult. Um, right. Right. And and you bring up a, an interesting point. Uh, not all utilities are either all electric or all gas. There's right. also a lot of utilities that have both fuels. Um, and so that that is an opportunity for for those utilities to really plan in advance um, mm -hmm. and and figure out how to how to evolve their business model. Right. Um, and and I should we should be clear, this is this is a big transition. It's not going to happen overnight. We're not talking about um, flipping a switch from today to tomorrow. But the thing is, we are going to we are talking about um, changing the way people's homes work. And this is going and a lot of infrastructure that gets any source of energy to those people's homes. Mm -hmm. That's going to take decades. And if we start planning now um, or avoid start either avoiding excess investments that continue di to dig the hole deeper or, and as well planning for that transition, it's an opportunity to make sure that we're doing it right, that we're taking care of vulnerable communities, families that that are very um that are not able to make that transition on their own right. um, and the workforce that is trained to do one thing and will then uh, that we're counting on that work workforce to install different technologies. Um, mm -hmm. If we don't start today, we're going to have to, we're going to run into a wall and uh, miss out on the opportunity to do a mindful transition. Right. And I mean, I mean, also like with the electric companies, I mean, one of the reasons they like doing this and one of the reasons they are pushing for this, and they certainly, at least in Missouri, and I'm sure you've seen this in other parts of the country, it allows them to sell more energy. And, and, and right now it's a little flat, is it not, as far as like what they're able to sell around the country? It's, it's a really interesting, um, like opposite catch 22 because that yes you are switching to electricity so you will be selling more electricity and there's definitely an upside for people that sell electricity at that right. point but also um because of the way electrical infrastructure works it's built out for a certain peak demand so right. for when everybody gets home at five o'clock in the hottest day of the summer and we all turn on our ac that infrastructure, those poles and wires is tragically underused most of the other hours of, of the year. Right. Uh, and so adding electric use during the, the times when the grid is not uh, well utilized will actually save consumers money. So yes, there is, uh, there is more electricity to be sold, um, but spreading those costs across the, the grid, the, mm -hmm. the, the hours of the grid, um, yeah will lead to to reduce costs for for consumers, which is why it's a, same, a similar reason to why um, we want we pay utilities to pursue energy efficiency, because it actually is a win win uh, yeah. for both the utility and the consumer. You kind of touch on something that's always been hard for me to try to explain in a podcast because it's a complicated subject, but you talk about like when people use power, how they use it at certain times, there are ways to enable and encourage customers to use power at certain times of the day. 
And, you know, obviously, is that something that you work on for NRDC as well? I mean, we, that, I mean, you know, with every rate case, and this is for not you, but for our listeners, you know, you have people, you know, utility companies want to raise rates a certain level, but then there's also a way of how that cost and how those get assessed to certain customers. That's a rate design. So do you work on rate design issues in regards to this issue too? Yeah, I definitely work on rate design. Um, it's it's an important piece uh, of, like I said, making sure that we're using the the clean uh, clean electricity at the right times and as efficient as po- possible is important to to keep costs down because of we don't want to have to build out the grid anymore because right. those are expensive capital improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like building roads. Uh, you don't want to make those unnecessary investments uh, right. when they are necessary. Uh, and so th- there is many ways. Rate design is one of the ways uh, where where we can uh, help consumers or really, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the word, but uh, incentivize consumers yeah. to give them a monetary incentive, really show them what they stand to save so that they use uh, they use the power at the right time right um that being said a lot of the the energy uses we're talking about electrifying um traditionally we are actually naturally inclined to use that to use that energy at the right times of day when when it when the grid is least stressed so right. think about hot water how, the biggest end use for hot water is showering. Right. And showering happens to be either early in the morning before we start our days or late at night. Um, right. And that actually coincides pretty well already naturally, especially if you're using heat pump technology where for where the, the, the grid isn't um, utilized. So it's, it's more about uh, really compensating. The word I was trying to think of is compensating. Uh, <laughs> with uh with the right price signals if you're just yeah. if you're just using electricity when when the real cost of that electricity is really low yeah. why are you paying for more and that's where 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 we get involved in rate design yeah because one thing we work on in missouri philip and i have worked on is time of use rates which is an effective way of of, of incentivizing customers for that um and, you know, and, and that's and that kind of brings up an issue because you know it also is not just about electrifying uh, these uh, these buildings, these homes, apartments, businesses, but also you know putting the technology in there to kind of control that. I mean, we talk a lot about AMI infrastructure. I mean, that's obviously really important to what you're doing too, right? Yeah. Um. The the advanced meters. Um, yeah. what they do is they allow um, both a utility and a consumer to to get charged, to, to track when, uh, at what point of the day uh, they're using that electricity. And part of why we have um, the, the flat non-TOU rates is that for the century where electricity existed before smart meters, um, the, the only way to track energy electricity use was monthly, and you couldn't tell when you were using your electricity. Now that we've got these smart meters, um, it, it enables all of these exciting TOU rates, which, again, um, 
compensate you for, for providing a service to the utility by not using their grid when it's most stressed. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, I, you know, cause I, cause I will tell you before I, I started doing this work at Renew Missouri, I was a consumer advocate for the state of Missouri. I was the public counsel. The one thing I got more phone calls and emails about than anything, you know what I'm talking about? Cause you're, you're laughing people concerned about not even like the privacy issues with that, but like real conspiratorial concerns about that. And even what Philip can tell you from working in Kansas City is like the city of Independence, which is a municipal utility. They had a, uh, they had a citizen, uh, uh, they had a, a citizen um, petition to, to stop advanced metering in their utility. I mean, is that something you're seeing? Is there, is there a significant resistance to that? Or is that just kind of a, a pocket of kind of like John Bircher type folks around the country? Or is that something that, that you're really concerned about? Yeah, that's that's probably uh, outside of my current area of expertise. Sure. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I try to understand where folks' misgivings are. Yeah. They're, you know, public, big institutions, public or private, don't always behave. Um, they're not always trustworthy. Right. Uh, so I understand where where misgivings come from. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, there is there's such a value to right. uh, to advanced metering infrastructure, yeah. um, and, and that value is mostly for the consumer, for reducing right. costs for that consumer. Um, so I think it's uh, it's up to us advocates and and the utilities that are also interested in minimizing their infrastructure costs to clearly communicate that to to their their customers yeah change is hard for people always is yeah <laughs> not just for people but for utility companies too yeah um yeah because i you know and this is <laughs> so i want to jump like so i'm going to go from like this really kind of almost and this will be my phrase, not yours, tinfoil hat thing to like something even like more way down the road, but like this idea that like somehow, you know, AMI meters, electrification, time of, time of use rates. I mean, is it possible that, you know, in the near future that we can start having appliances, electric appliances, talking to the utility, the utility kind of helping to operate it. I mean, is that something that you see as a viable idea that's going to like help reduce costs even more? I think that's definitely already taking place for um, electric customers that choose to participate in those programs. Right. We've had air conditioning cycling where the utility either programs your air conditioner or sends your air conditioner uh, a signal to to stop or slow down a little bit, uh, say one, for a couple minutes every hour. Again, on that that peakiest day of the summer, where where we're really ramped bumping up against uh, against the capacities of of the electrical grid, and by reducing by ramping cycling your your air conditioning, uh, the utility gets some headroom in um, in their grid capacity. The consumer barely notices it. And I'll yeah. say this is this is a customer that has agreed to participate in these programs and they are getting paid, compensated for uh, for their slight change in this, the, the possibility that they'll have change in comfort. And um, it really, the, while the customer's uh, 
being compensated, that that compensation is much cheaper than building an additional power plant that's only going to get used for three hours a year and uh, adding transformers and substations to to ship that power around. Yeah. Uh, so we've been doing this for for many years. It's it's a matter of um, continuing to to communicate to to customers, to electric customers, what uh, what they stand to gain from participating in this and avoiding future uh, costs that they too would have to pay for. Right. Now you do this all over the country. You work on this issue all over the country. Yes, pretty much. Where do you think this is being done the right way right now? Where's the best example you can think of of a state that's doing this the way you see and say, this is going to make a big difference for people? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, because... I was hoping that was going to be a softball. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it just, just there's, there's a lot of pieces involved with um, with transitioning to cleaner, healthier buildings. Yeah. And uh, states are big, big machines. Um, and they are, are, many of them are leading in different ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the obvious answers are um, California is uh, leading um, in how we, they've uh, changed uh, some of their energy efficiency rules to support this beneficial equipment. Right. Um, other states are le- leading in other ways, but I would also say that a lot of the more exciting things we're seeing come from cities, from towns and cities all across America. Right. Um, right. St. Louis alone uh, has this super exciting building energy performance standard. We worked very hard on that. Our St. Louis <laughs> yes, we're very excited about that. And, and we're seeing cities across the, the country pick up on that thread. We're expecting mm-hmm. similar um, work to happen in, in Boston mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in states. I, I won't mention them right now, but states are definitely interested in, mm-hmm. um, in taking on that leadership or learning from, from uh, St. Louis leadership. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, because I mean, one of the things that you touched on this earlier, because I mean, you talk about like how it's 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 a big it, it's a big process, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. I mean, one of the things you always worry about is like, let's say you're an, a, a tenant, you live in an apartment, you don't have a lot of control over what gets put in your apartment. I mean, that's going to be uh, your landlord or the association that runs that building. I mean, do you do you think there are some states that are being more mindful of that? Um, I think. Know, Definitely much more so. And we have the benefit that this is a fairly uh, cutting edge uh, piece of, uh, of environmental advocacy. Right. Uh, so we have been able to really, in, in all honesty, in the, the last year of um, reckoning with, with inequities in, in the country, mm-hmm. we have really, well, while we were conscious that we needed to be very careful on equity in the past and in, in for special because again this is dealing with people's homes we can't yeah. craft policies that are going to to make people's lives ha- harder so we've always been aware of that um but in the last year it's impossible to not really double down um on on the precariousness of uh, of com- some community situations uh, so we have seen um, new policies really embrace the the equity pieces. Uh, I'd say that 
uh, the building legislation that was introduced by Governor uh, Governor Inslee in Washington State um, really, really has a lot of uh, important pieces uh, on both protecting those vulnerable customers that you're talking about, but also investing in the workforce development. Um, some of that will be transition. A lot of that will be new jobs because we truly think that this is going to be a net job creator. Yeah. Uh, but we need to make sure that those jobs are, are family sustaining jobs, uh, that they are they offer career opportunities and um, that that Washington state legislation is really mindful about those those important pieces. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it is it is it is easy to kind of look at the policy of this. It's exciting. You see these benefits to it. But then at the same time there, you know, there, there's there's a mindfulness of like, well, how do we make sure this gets to, to be everyone's advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And that's to what I was saying earlier. Um, that's why we need to get started on the planning and the, the, the foundational policies today, because yeah. we do have, this is going to be a decades long process, but mm -hmm. if we don't start being mindful about it today, we are going to find ourselves at a place where we are going to have fewer options. Uh, the more gas infrastructure we put in the ground today, uh, the more buildings we're going to have to go back and and retouch, uh, retrofit in the future. Whereas now we have the opportunity to build it, to build the clean, healthy, and affordable from the start, so we don't have to worry about those buildings in the future and and the families that live in those buildings. Yeah. So when I, you know Philip here, in addition to he does he doesn't just produce our podcast, uh, but he works on on issues in Kansas City. I mean, a, a city like Kansas City, which has got you know couple hundred thousand people living there. Um, I mean, when you talk about like starting, I mean, when you look at like a city that might just be starting, that might be really looking at this, I mean, what are some of the things that in your mind, from, from your organization's perspective, should a city or leaders be thinking about when they're starting to think about this process? Yeah, I, I, the, the obvious first answer is thinking about the things that haven't yet been built. Um, and, and that part of the, the obvious answer is because that is the most, uh, the way where customers or, and families stand to benefit the most economically today. Mm -hmm. Um, because we do know that, um, in, in most cases, building efficiently and with uh, an all electric from the, from the beginning is, is more affordable today. Um, we've seen studies where um, where building efficient all electric today reduces building costs by about thirty percent. Mm. Um, so why wouldn't why wouldn't a city uh, steer its its construction industry and its housing market towards a way that uh, that a creates cheaper, faster buildings today, and B reduces the capital cost of those pipes that they'll have to keep maintaining and paying for for decades. Wow. Um, that we know are are opposed to to our long term climate goals. Yeah. So to even break this down for people, like you're talking about, like with new construction, like if you are you if you're talking about like you have a natural gas hookup there. And you're not using it. Like, let's say that a, a a a house or this is a rental unit or a business says, "Okay, well, I'm going to go all electric for whatever for all these litany of reasons, because um, it's 
because it's cheaper, because <laughs> it's more efficient, because it's healthier. I mean, so, but ultimately you see the concern is that that is going to be an expensive proposition in the long term to have those natural gas hookups there. Yeah, it, it is a, an expensive proposition, not just in the long term, but for new construction today. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're gonna ask me if it's cheaper today, why isn't it happening happening on its own? That is um, <laughs> and what, and if you don't ask it, then I, I'm sure your your listeners will, yeah. will wonder. <laughs> um, and what I say to that is that, um, again, that change is hard and yeah. that people and businesses do uh, what they have been like doing, like doing what they've been doing for for years. Mm. Um, if what they've been used to is hooking up to a gas system and right. installing gas appliances, uh, there there is a perceived cost or not cost there, but they have to do something new, mm -hmm. uh, which again, we don't like. Yeah. Um, and that involves some, that's what we call market development. It's about helping those industries realize um, the, the potential cost savings because it's it's both the, the cost savings would would materialize both for the home buyer and for for the uh, contractor uh, or the builder or the appliance installer that is um, that is installing these appliances and building these these buildings. Yeah. Uh, so we do need policies that indicate to the market forces uh, where we would like to go where for both health and cost and environmental reasons, where the, the city would like their building stock to go. Mm -hmm. And then the market, and of course, support that market as, as it steers in the right direction. But that's why the policy is needed. Yeah. Which I guess is also like, as a question I have is, you know, in a, is there anything you can do that's outside of new construction? Like say you're rehabbing or updating existing construction, which is a big issue, like in a in an older city like Kansas City or older cities like St. Louis that, you know, you see a lot of redevelopment. I mean, is there anything you can do or that you see that a city can do that affects that kind of work? Yeah, and I, I think two, two pieces. When you're talking about redevelopment, if you're doing gut, if you're, the moment you're going, you're opening a wall and going into the, the guts of a building, right? Uh, that's another opportunity to, mm -hmm. to really save costs and switch out. You're, you're probably going to be switching out uh, appliances anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, we think of that in many cases, gut rehabs as new construction in terms of cost possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, but even without the gut rehab, uh, I, I, I think that the redevelopment question and the really investing in aging um, building stock, is it a hugely important equity question? Because um, families that low-income families tend to live in older buildings. Right. Uh, and those older buildings tend to have higher energy costs because they're less efficient. Uh -huh. And so not only um, do low-income families have a higher energy sort of like gross number cost, but because also because they've got lower incomes, they've got higher what we call energy burdens. So a higher percentage of their income gets sucked into their energy bills. Um, and so that's why I strongly advocate that as we're going through the uh, to the, the existing building stock um, and really do the retrofitting, 
with the efficiency and with the switching to to clean electricity, it's important. It's a great opportunity to do reinvestment into the communities that need it most, the most vulnerable communities. Right. So, I mean, as far as like what you do or NRDC does, I mean, as far as like offering resources or assistance for cities looking at this, I mean, what is it that you all can help like a local leader or a local advocate do in starting this process? Yeah, so we've got we've got a lot of resources. Um, like I said, this the the move to cleaner, healthier buildings is is new, relatively mm-hmm. new in terms right. of um, the environmental movement. Um, and and so the the best we can do is, or, or the the first thing we can do is stuff like this, telling people right. what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. What is this building electrification you speak yeah. of? Um, and uh, we also work with, uh, with local partners, with uh, state policymakers, with the utilities that you've mentioned a couple times mm-hmm. um, to help structure programs and including compensation programs uh, like the energy efficiency programs, um, I, I know you, Missouri has, yeah. um, to, to really align incentives in a way that we're all swimming in the, the right direction for healthier, more affordable buildings. Um, and then making sure that uh, the, the, pro- the implementation of those programs is done well so that we're not wasting uh, taxpayer resources Orals, and, and that we are investing um, utility dollars on the communities that need it most. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, and I mean, really, I mean, you think about a tally, I mean, how many cities or local county governments are you working with right now or have worked with, if you could put a number on that? <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's a big question. <laughs> we work. I'm sorry, I told, I promised this was going to be easy. <laughs> Um, we've got several programs going. Uh, I, I, I personally work more with states. So oh. we've got um, about 15 states where, where we have a lot of active work. But uh-huh. other parts of the NRDC also work directly with, uh, with towns and cities mm-hmm. um, through, through initiatives like uh, the City Energy Project is ongoing work. We also have the Amer- American Cities Climate Challenge. Um, which uh, picks a, I am sorry to say, I don't know exactly the number of cities, uh, but, but a, a big handful of cities uh, to support the, those cities' sustainability departments and, and local leaders in, as they have um, priorities, climate and health priorities that they want to work on. We mm-hmm. support them in figuring out how to go about them. Um, because these are specific, or specific policies that we have expertise on, and we want to share that uh, those resources with leaders, both at the city and state level, that um, that want that, that are inclined to to take that that leadership. And I will say that that a lot of our city work is motivated by the fact that we know that. Um, we know that local residents want action on climate change right. and cities are really excellently positioned to act on that, that call for climate action, while at the same time balancing 
um, the the other needs of and priorities of their their specific communities. So if it's housing availability, if it is transportation infrastructure, um, or just affordability, the the local governments are really well positioned to create innovative policies that speak to all of those um, all of those priorities. Yeah. And if people want to learn more, because I know we're about ready to run on our time, because I know you've got big things to work on <laughs> all around the country, where can they learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so <laughs> that's also a great question. Uh, <laughs> a good place to start is nrdc.org. Yep. Um, that's uh, that's our, our institution's website. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say NRDC does a lot of work on many things. If you are particularly interested in, um, in, in building decarbonization, in the, the work we're doing on the building stock, mm -hmm. um, I, I think the best way to go is read, uh, read my blogs on the subject. So oh, I, I won't spell out the, it's Alejandra Mejia Cunningham, um, NRDC, Google it. It takes okay. you directly to my page. <laughs> okay. But I will also, um, I'm sure you've got show, show notes that you can include uh, the URL on. Yes, yes, we will, uh, we will send out an email with us to our supporters and give them uh, that prompt and give them a link to that. So uh, do you have like any uh, social media where they can find that? <laughs> no, I, oh. don't do, I don't do Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I should do more show prep, For sorry. I, <laughs> no, for mental health reasons, I don't do uh, Twitter, but um, it's a NRDC... good idea. It's driven me half insane. So, <laughs> but NRDC Energy does have a Twitter handle, and that is um, NRDC Energy. So, twitter.com yeah. uh, slash NRDC Energy. And that's where a lot of our contact, uh, content gets pushed out. Yeah. Well, Alejandra, you've said it all, you've done it all. I, I kind of wonder like, is there any parting thoughts that you want to leave with listeners about? what you know what what they should think about as far as this topic goes about electrification about moving away from gas i mean what is it that you think is like the most compelling argument to be made uh, for what you're doing yeah i think that um before even before 2020 and now 2021 mm -hmm. uh we spend the majority of our lives inside buildings inside mm -hmm. our homes and places of work Right. And thinking through and uh, acting on uh, how to have to live and occupy healthier, more cost effective, uh, more affordable buildings is mm -hmm. is key, key. Yes, key for climate action, but also key for for the health of our families, for the health of our communities and for the health of our pocketbooks. Yeah. Uh, so I'd encourage you, uh, your listeners, uh, to think through what their their cities and states are doing to mm -hmm. to support the move to to healthier buildings and um, to to get engaged on uh, either protecting a city their city's uh, ability to lead on these issues mm -hmm. or supporting uh, proactive work at the state level that allows utilities and um, other other entities to invest in healthier, cleaner buildings. Very good. Thank you again for your time. 
And thank you all for listening. Uh, we would like to offer that if you like what you heard, subscribe to us on all major platforms. Leave a positive review. We don't want any negative reviews. That does us no good. Uh, and share this on your social media platforms if you choose to be on them. Uh, for Renew Missouri and Renew Gurus, this is James Owen uh, saying we'll see you next time on the radio. Uh,